الله حمد الشاكرين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد تلك القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد كلما ذكرك الذاكرون وغفل عن ذكرك الغافلون الحمد لله Today's subject is the month of Ramadan and Al-Quran Al-Kareem Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions شهر Ramadan الذي أنزل فيه القرآن the month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed and of course Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhumah, the cousin of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu regarding whom the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said Allahumma faqihu fi al-deen wa'allimhu wa ta'weed O Allah, give him understanding of the religion and wa'allimhu wa ta'weed and teach him the correct interpretation of the Qur'an. As ta'weel is interpretation. He states that the revelation of the Qur'an was from al-lawful mahfuz, the preserved tablet, down to Baytul Izza in the month of Ramadan. And from Baytul Izza, over a period of 23 years, the Qur'an was revealed upon the heart of the Messenger of Allah So over that period of 23 years, the Qur'an was revealed and written down and memorized. But the month of Ramadan is associated with the Qur'an because of this revelation. And the first revelation of the Qur'an with the Surah Al-Iqra was within the month of Ramadan in the city of Makkah al-Mukarramah. So, the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu and many of the tabi'een, the successors, when the month of Sha'ban would approach, they would close everything else, meaning other books, and they would begin to study the Qur'an. Inkabu ala al-Qur'an, meaning increase their study of the Qur'an, but they would also extract the zakat al-amwal, charity, and distribute the zakat amongst the poor in order to ease and facilitate the month of Ramadan for the poor people. The sahur, the pre-dawn meal, and the iftar, the evening meal in the month of Ramadan. But the increase of the study of the Qur'an would occur in the month of Sha'ban, which is this month in preparation for the month of Ramadan. Now, what is stated by some of the scholars of Islam is that the one who has learned to recite Al-Quran Al-Kareem but does not recite Al-Quran Al-Kareem daily, a minimum of 90 verses, has been jafa with the Quran, has been harsh to the Quran. Why do they mention this? Because every Muslim who is able to recite the Qur'an, once he has gained the ability to recite the Qur'an, must re- recite the Qur'an on a regular basis. 
And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu Quran, the similitude of the believer who recites the Quran, his similitude is given. Like what the uh, the similitude is given to a citrus fruit. What is that citrus fruit? A, a, a lemon-shaped fruit, the smell of which is pure. And the taste is pure. This is the similitude of a believer who recites Al-Qur'an al-Kareem. Now, the, in the month of Ramadan, the recitation of the Qur'an increases, but there is something else that goes hand in hand with recitation of Al-Qur'an al-Kareem. That is reflection on the meanings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ Do they not reflect over the meanings of the Qur'an? يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ Do they not reflect over the meanings? أَمْ عَلَى قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا Or is there upon the heart أَقْفَالُهَا أَقْفَال is plural قُفْ which is the locks on the heart. Meaning are their hearts sealed and locked from reflecting over the means of Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem. And this, if we reflect closely, will be one of the many reasons why people tend to find reciting of the Qur'an burdensome, is because they do not understand its meanings. And if they understand its meanings, they do not reflect upon its meanings, meaning the subtleties of the Qur'an, that the Qur'an is a sea upon which, uh, within which there are multiple layers of depth. Each time a person goes into the sea, they can dive deeper and deeper and deeper and never reach the bottom of the depth of the, of the sea. So, how do we, in the prior to Ramadan, exercise ourselves in increasing our recitation of the Quran? And then when the month of Ramadan enters, how do we increase our recitation of the Qur'an and how do we reflect upon the meanings of the Qur'an? Of course, uh, many people when they recite the Qur'an, they find it burdensome because firstly, there is Madharul Jalal in the Qur'an that the magnificence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reflected through the, the recitation of the Qur'an, so people find it very heavy to recite. But the companions of the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa recite the Qur'an so much that some of them, when they, the young men, when they would leave their homes, they would say, I will meet you at the time of the Sa'atul Qurra, which means the hour of the reciters. What this meant was in Al-Madinatul Munawwara at that time, the culture of reciting the Qur'an was so common that it was well known that after Maghrib Salah, the majority of the households, people would open up the Qur'an and start reciting the Qur'an. So what would happen 
is that the recitation and the voices of the recitation were heard from inside the homes and the echoes of the recitation were heard in the streets and the alleyways. So that hour they would refer to as Sa'atul Qurra, the hour of the reciters of the Qur'an after Maghrib Salah. So when they needed to meet, they would say, I will meet you at the hour of the reciters. So in every house, or majority of the houses, there were people sitting down, reciting Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem, and their voices were heard in their homes and out on the streets. The echo of the Qur'an was heard. When Sayyidina Umar عنه, dispatched the armies to Persia and Syria, in the day those soldiers will fight and pray their five daily prayers, but in the night they mention the camps, uh, the encampment of those soldiers. They refer to them as saying that they were like the buzzing of bees at night. Why were they like the buzzing of bees? Because the number of people who were reciting Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem, that's what the uh, recitation of Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem was. Sayyiduna Abu Ad-Dardar he went to Syria to Asham to teach Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem. After the passing away of the Messenger of Allah and he taught 10 students until they had completed the Qur'an, memorization of the Qur'an. Then he placed each student in a, in a circle of 10 more students, resulting in over 100 students. And then he would overlook all of the students while teaching them Qur'an. Like this, the teaching of the Qur'an spread in the city of Damascus. I mean, this was the importance they gave to recitation and memorization of Al-Qur'an al-Kareem. But one major thing that they had access to or that they would do is contemplating upon the meanings of the Qur'an. I mean, aside from reciting the Qur'an, the meanings. Now, when we dwell on the subject of why some people will find the the Qur'an burdensome or they find it boring. I mean, this is the case of some people, they find the content boring because they do not understand what is contained in the Qur'an. Why is that? It, it is because of ignorance of what is contained within Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem. I mean, if they understood the ajaib, the wondrous nature of the Qur'an, they would grasp onto the Qur'an and recite the Qur'an in, in abundance. But because that is not the case, it is imp imperative that we uh, cover today some of the aspects of the the ulum al-Qur'an, sciences of the Qur'an, but also the mawdu'at al-Qur'an, the subjects of the Qur'an. This also brings me to uh, an introduction which many people ask. They say, why firstly is the Qur'an not divided like a modern book into chapter headings <coughs> With a chapter, with chapters on those different subjects, like modern books, and the response is simple, because the the subject of the Quran is one subject, meaning from Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim and Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin all the way to uh, Surah Al-Nas, the end of Surah Al-Nas, the subject of the Quran is one subject. What is that subject? Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding 
the creation, the makhluk, jinn kind and humankind, that they must recognize their servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by choice. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing them that they recognize and acknowledge their servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The human being and the jinn kind were not created by choice and are not servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by choice. But acknowledging the servitude is the subject of the Qur'an. In the entire, entire subject of the Qur'an. Therefore, the Qur'an is not in need of divisions according to subject matters because the entire subject of the Qur'an is one. This is what the the recitation of the Qur'an will teach us that we must recognize our servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But over a period of time of 23 years, the Qur'an was revealed in stages. Some chapters were revealed entirely in one go, in one revelation. Like Surah Sayyidina Yusuf salam, the story of Yusuf salam was revealed in one go. Surah Al-Kahf, the entire chapter was revealed in one, in one go. In Makkah al-Mukarram, both chapters are Makki. In fact, majority of the Qur'an was revealed in Makkah al-Mukarram. Majority of the Qur'an was revealed in Makkah al-Mukarram. Majority of the stories of Al-Qur'an al-Kareem, Qasas al-Qur'an, were also revealed in Makkah al-Mukarram. The remaining <coughs> chapters were revealed in Al-Madinat al-Munawwara. Some of those chapters were revealed in segments, especially those verses which related to ahkam, legal ruling. So first, people were permitted to pray in a state of intoxication. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited <coughs> prayer in, in a state of intoxication. Do not approach the prayer and you are in a state of intoxication after which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited intoxications entirely meaning wine was prohibited entirely this tadrij only meaning successive uh, rulings only occurs in rulings relating to ahkam pertaining to legal rulings otherwise the, uh, some parts of the Quran were revealed, stories were revealed at different times. So the, the subject matter of the entire Quran revolves around one thing, reminding human beings of their ubudi, of their servitude. But around that single subject, the Quran can go into other aspects in order to remind us of the, the core subject, which is our servitude to Allah. What are the subsidiary subjects? Like sometimes the Quran will contain qasas. Qasas is what? Stories. But every story will go back to the main principle regarding servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Quran can have amthal. Amthal is what? Similitudes. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strikes similitudes of things, likening one thing to another. And again, 
every similitude that is found in the Quran, like the the uh, thabit, the firm statement, is the kalima to shahada, the testimony of faith, which Allah subhanahu wa taala likens to a tree with its roots in in the ground and its branches up in the sky and it gives up fruit. This is a simile to Amthal al-Qur'an. A second, that is, so Qasas, stories, Amthal. Then, Amrun, commands, and Nahyun, prohibitions. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may command us to do something. Hafidhu ala salawati wa salati wusta, an example of a command. Preserve the prayers and the middle prayer a command in the Quran Karim. But a prohibition can come. Like Wala Takrabu Zina. Do not approach Zina for adultery. That it's a fahisha in modest act. And a reprehensible way of relieving one's desires. A prohibition. So Again, the command brings us back to the, the core subject, which is what Ubudiya says to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The prohibition also brings us to the core subject, which is Ubudiya says to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, the Quran has ikhbar uh, regarding future events, like when the people shall enter paradise, people shall enter hellfire. Likewise, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall command for the barrier of Ya'juj and Ma'juj to be open, where Al-Quran al-Kareem uh, states, Hatta idha futihat Ya'juj wa Ma'juj, that until uh, Ya'juj and Ma'juj are opened, meaning the barrier is open, futihat Ya'juj wa Ma'juj, and this is a future event. Or where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Rum regarding the Persian Empire. So this is Ikhbar, the uh, informing of future events. Ikhbar, meaning, or Akhbar, which is plural of Khabar, reports which are given regarding future events. Likewise, in Al-Quran Al-Kareem, one of the main subject matters is the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Surah Al-Ikhlas being a common example, Qul huwa Allahu ahad. But of course there are numerous verses regarding the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is of course six categories that I shall touch upon, but you will notice that each one of these categories goes back to the principal issue of what why we, when we recite Quran, there is always a wisdom of why something is being mentioned. The first which I mentioned was Qasasul Quran. With regard to Qasasul Quran, the stories in the Quran, some people object to the Quran. They say that the Quran contains stories which are repeated. So the most repeated story in the Quran is the story of Musa and his 
going to Fir'aun in order to emancipate the, the offspring of Yaqub and Israel. So the story of Musa and Fir'aun, the most repeated story in the Quran. Why does the Quran repeat different stories? Firstly, the Quran will mention a story from a particular point which is relevant to what is being mentioned at that particular context, in that particular context. If there is a context, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will draw our attention to a, a point that is taken from the story of that a particular prophet, that this incident occurred with him. When that story is repeated, there are benefits that are taken from the, the, the repetition of the story that may not have been mentioned in uh, another narrative of the same story within the Qur'an. But one of the main reasons why some of the stories of the Qur'an were repeated was because the disbelievers in that time claimed that the Qur'an is a forgery. So, the Messenger of Allah what was sent upon him, the Qur'an, were the repetition of the story in order to demonstrate to the disbelievers that if this Qur'an is a forgery, then you should be able to tell the same story in a different style. But they were unable to imitate the Qur'an. Meaning, the same story of Musa and Fir'aun was retold in the Qur'an in different styles to show them that if this story, if this revelation was a forgery, you would be able to imitate the story at least in a different style. So if you check the story of Musa in Surah Al-Baqarah, it is different to Surah Al-A'raf. If you check the story from Surah Al-A'raf, it is different to Surah Al-Taha. If you check Surah Al-Taha, the story is different to Surah Al-Qasas. In each chapter, the story has a different style, exemplifying to them that they were unable to imitate, to imitate Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem. This was one of the wisdoms of repetition of Al-Qasas, the stories in Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem. Additional to that, were these stories <coughs> fables that existed in that time? The answer is no. They were realities that had transpired previously. And many subtleties of the Qur'an are such that there are words and specific details in those stories that signify that the Qur'an was exact in reporting those stories and events. Like in the story of Sayyiduna Yusuf when they, the brothers of Yusuf they used uh, beasts of burden for animals to carry goods they did not use camels and the Quran does not use the word naqah or jaman it uses the word ba'ir very precise why? because when you look back in history the camel was not domesticated in that time the camel was not domesticated in that region at that time, they would use other animals, beasts of burden. <coughs> but another subtlety that is found in the story of Yusuf is that even though the king at that time was the king of Egypt, 
The term Fir'aun is not used for him. The term Malik is used for him. Why is the term Malik used for him? Anyone who knows history of Egypt at the time will be able to tell you that the Fara'ina, the pharaohs, were in the southern part of Egypt at that period of time. They only ascended to power later after the time of Yusuf Salam. So the kings that were ruling the north were referred to as kings, meaning subtleties of the Quran. But the Quran does not need to mention uh, precise historical events, but it is very precise with its words. An example, Fir'aun, when he commands Haman to build, uh, to build a pyramid for him, a tower, so he can ascend and observe the Lord of Musa and Saddam. Because Fir'aun believed God is located in location. So, when he commanded to build a tower, he says, place clean. Clean is what? Mud. <coughs> and then he, he states, awqid. Awqid is what? Placing fire upon the mud. Why? In order to make the mud into solid brick or solid bowl, uh, solid uh, 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 boulders or uh, slabs, uh, huge slabs for constructing pyramids. Now, in today's day and age, they have all these different theories regarding how the pyramids were made. So many different <laughs> theories. That how were the Egyptians able to transport huge boulders and stones from the quarries to the location of the pyramids <coughs> and then able to construct such huge pyramids but the Quran alludes to this point simply that what they did is that they will fill shapes made from wood, which is in Arabic called qalib, meaning uh, if, you, if you make a square with wood, you take that to the location, you fill it with mud, which mud is easy to transport, and then once it becomes full, you place the fire and the fire will make that mud into stone or into brick and like this they would make the base of the pyramid and then the next step of the pyramid and then the third step of the pyramid transporting the mud rather than transporting the entire uh, stones from the quarry but the quran salutes to this one little point or how the ark of Nuh stopped at the mountain, uh, which is mentioned in Al-Quran Al-Kareem, وَقِيلَ يَا أَرْضُ بْلَعِي مَا أَتِي وَيَا سَمَاءُ أَقْلِعِي وَقِيضَ الْمَاءُ وَقُضِيَ الْأَمْرُ وَاسْتَوَتْ عَلَى الْجُودِي The mountain Al-Judi is mentioned. Wow. That the, the, by the way, with this one verse alone, the scholars extract over a hundred points of balagha from this one uh, verse, meaning um, uh, rhetorical devices that are used in balagha and in balagha. Nevertheless, the subtlety the Quran states regarding the ark of Nuh salam was al-Judi that it became equal to the man al-Judi. Then when they investigated the name Al-Judi and where Al-Judi is and its location in Turkey today, the subtlety of the Qur'an and the words that it uses, even though the Qur'an, the purpose of the stories of the Qur'an is not history, 
The purpose of the Quran, uh, the stories of the Quran revolves around which subject? Bringing people back to servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning there is an ibra, ibra lessons to be learned from the qasas of the Quran, stories of Al-Quran al-Karim. So when you recite stories in the Quran and there is repetition of stories in Al-Quran al-Karim, a person should not think that why are the stories of Al-Quran al-Karim being repeated? Additional to that, the person who recites the Quran should reflect on the stories and the meanings contained within the stories. The second, which was Amthalul Quran. Of course, the first alone is an ocean of knowledge because if you study alone the story of Sayyiduna Yusuf just Surah to Yusuf, Note, is the story of Sayyiduna Yusuf repeated in the Quran? The answer is, no, there are some stories that are not repeated. One of them is the story of Yusuf The story of Yusuf was only revealed once and only told once in the Quran. What is the wisdom in that? That if the disbelievers <coughs> are convinced that this Quran is a forgery, they are challenged to repeat the story of Yusuf in a different style, which they were unable to do so. Meaning, some stories were repeated to show them how one story can be repeated in different styles with different benefits, but some stories were left unrepeated to show them that if you believe this is a forgery, then you repeat the story in a better style. But they were unable to do that with Surah to Sayyidina Yusuf or some of the additional uh, stories in Al-Quran Al-Karim, like the story of Ashab Al-Kahf, in Surah Al-Kahf, they were not able to contradict the story or retell the story. So there, there is a wisdom in how Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala tells us the story. The second, which is Amthal Al-Quran. Remember, there was uh, Amthal Al-Quran, after this then Amrun, Nahyun, uh, command and prohibition, <coughs> and there was additional to that ikhbar, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informing us of future events or specific things, like with ikhbar, before the prayer, I'll go into ikhbar with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us regarding future events. There are a few examples of this that a person can reflect upon uh, regarding the means of the Quran. One simple example. Surah Tabbat Yada Abi Lahabim Watab was revealed in Makkah al Mukarramah regarding a specific individual, Abdul Uzza, who, whose kunya, his nickname was Abu Lahab. Regarding him, the Quran says Tabbat Yada Abi Lahabim Watab, an entire chapter was revealed that he will perish and go to hell for his disbelief. When this chapter was revealed in Makkah al Mukarramah, Abu Lahab Abu Lahab lived for numerous years after the revelation of this chapter. When he lived for numerous years after the revelation of this chapter, he had the opportunity to contradict the Quran and make everyone into disbelievers. How all Abu Lahab had to do was say, this Quran says I am a disbeliever. I can contradict this Quran by saying I, I believe. I am a believer, announce himself as a believer, 
he would have contradicted the Quran. So if the Quran was the forgery of an individual, of a person, then that person would be taking a, a huge risk by reciting an entire chapter condemning a person who was still alive. All that person had to do was stand up amongst people and say, I believe in this Quran. Once he says, I believe in this Quran, he contradicts the Quran and the, the entire message would have failed. But Al-Quran Al-Karim revealed verses regarding him and his wife. Both of them remain disbelievers. Additional to this, Al-Walid bin Al-Mughira, regarding whom verses of the Quran were revealed. He had many years to declare his contradiction of the Quran, but he was unable to do so. This is an example of ikhbar information of the Quran that the Quran tells us regarding future events. Additional to this, in Surah Al-Rum, meaning this is all when you recite Quran in the month of Ramadan, these are some things for you to reflect on when you recite throughout the Quran. It's the ocean of the Quran when you go into depth of each chapter alone. But in Surah Al-Rum, in, in Makkah Al-Mukarramah, when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu residing in Makkah Al-Mukarramah, the Persian Empire defeated the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Roman Empire. And the, disbelie the disbelievers, the polytheists were happy because they were supporters of the, the Persians because they were both polytheists. The Muslims were, were supporters of the Byzantine Empire because they were Ahlul Kitab. So, Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq was told by the Messenger of Allah after the revelation of Surah Al-Rum that the Romans shall defeat the Persians in a few years. Bid'ah, the word in the Quran is used, Bid'ah Sinin, some years. Bid'ah is a number for three to nine. For three to nine. So permission was given to Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq at that time, before the prohibition of gambling, to gamble with the disbelievers because he was given certainty through the Quran. So they said how many, between how many years? He's, between three and nine, which year? He said six, after the year six. So they waited six years. Towards the end of the sixth year, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, increase the bid, increase the bid because they will defeat them. As soon as the seventh year entered, the Romans defeated the Persians and the truthfulness of the Quran was verified. But these are events that occurred in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa like conquering of Makkah al-Mukarramah, Surah Al-Fatih, Inna these chapters were, these verses were revealed after the agreement of Hudaybiyah. That during the agreement of Hudaybiyah, Surah Al-Fatih was revealed, which informed the Muslims of their victory. And then, two years later, after Hudaybiyah, the Muslims conquered Makkah Al-Mukarram, meaning a, a clear manifest victory. But these events occurred in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah Are there future events in the Quran that have not yet transpired? The answer is many. Many have not yet transpired and they will transpire with the will and might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like Dabatul Ard, 
the Dabatul Ard, a creature that shall come out in the end of times, as well as the opening of the barrier of Ya'jud and Ma'jud. When these signs occur, people shall witness the sign with them, for themselves. So this is with regard to Ikhbar of the Quran. Ikhbar is informing, Ikhbar is reports. Meaning, one is master, one is a plural. That the Quran tells us regarding numerous future events. Of course, a deeper study of the Quran would also reveal that the Quran tells us regarding traits of certain nations. Meaning, there are traits of certain nations and future events, political and military events that occur in the world today that the Quran has, has informed us of. But of course, that goes beyond today's subject matter. But when you reflect on the meanings of the Quran, one thing you reflect is the Qasasul Quran, the other words, Akhbar. The additional four things which I mentioned, which were Amthalul Quran, Al Amru, Wanahu, and the divine names and attributes, which are four things, inshallah, we shall continue after Salatul Asr. Continuing from where I left, regarding the division of the subject matters based upon one principal subject which was Ubudiyya, servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some examples were given from Qasasul Quran and some from Akhbar, the reports of the Quran regarding future events or regarding current events or regarding the past. Some of that may fall into Qasas because some of those reports are given via the stories of Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem. But there is also a subtlety of the wording of Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem. An example of this which falls into this category of Akhbar is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the sun and the moon. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the sun as Diyaa and the Qamar wal Qamara Munira meaning for the sun the word Diya is used and for the moon Munir outwardly when a person recites they would think that the means are the same Diya means a lamp meaning the sun is likened to a lamp because the, a lamp burns and we know that the sun is burning it's a star that is burning. But the moon is described as Munira. The subtlety is in the word. Outwardly, when a person recites the Quran, this is to do with our recitation of Al Quran al Karim, that inshallah we shall increase in the coming week and in the month of Ramadan when we reflect just on one word, for instance, the word Munira. Outwardly, the word just means illuminated, but the, the choice of words is different. The sun is described as Diya, and the moon is described as Munir, but there is a subtlety as to why the word Munir is mentioned for the moon, and the word Diya is used for the sun. Munir, if you say the room is Munir, 
it means the room is reflecting the light of something else. So, the light on the ceiling is being reflected by the walls of the room. You say, Al-Ghurfatul Munira, the room reflecting light. Meaning the room itself does not give light, but it reflects the light of something else. So when we recite the Qur'an, and the Qur'an describes the sun as being Diya, and the moon as being Munira, there is a subtlety in telling us the distinction between the sun and the moon. Meaning there is no uh, contradiction from what is known by observation today. Of course, some people attempt to find uh, faults with the Qur'an, and today's subject is not uh, defending the content matter of the Qur'an. I've done that elsewhere, but I will mention two examples. One is from the story of Sayyidina Abul Qarnayn Ali Saddam, that it mentions that when he reached a muddy spring, he found the sun setting in the muddy spring. Christian missionaries and Orientalists, what they do is they cite this verse of the Qur'an to say, the Qur'an states that the sun is setting in a muddy spring. What distortion is this of the meanings? The distortion is that the story of Sayyiduna Zulqarnayn is relating to us that when Zulqarnayn reached the muddy spring, he observed that the sun was setting on the horizon of that, uh, water, uh, that body of water, which some say is the Caspian Sea or the Black Sea. So, the Qur'an is relating to us what he was observing on the horizon. Not that, the, that it is a scientific fact that the sun sets in a muddy spring every day. This is a distortion of the meanings of the verse of the Qur'an. Likewise, they distort hadith. I've mentioned elsewhere that the meaning to the hadith that the sun every day goes underneath the throne of Allah, prostrates and then reappears. Uh, some people reject the hadith because they say ultimately it contradicts observation, contradicts science. But the response is uh, how they interpret, how they are misunderstanding the meaning of the hadith. That's uh, for the subject matter of hadith. However, a second example they mention is that the Quran states that the mountains are placed on the earth in order to prevent the earth from having earthquakes. So based on this, they say, we know today that earthquakes occur due to tectonic plates. When te tectonic plates move, then an earthquake takes place. So why is the Quran saying that mountains cause earthquakes? The response is that the Quran is not saying the mountains cause earthquakes. What the Quran states is that the mountains have been placed on the earth in order to prevent the word used is tamida from mada yamidu, which means what? Convulsions, which is different to earthquake. Meaning the, the function of the mountains is not to prevent earthquakes, but to stop something else, which is zalzala is the word for earthquakes. This is where precision is needed because many young people today are watching these videos of former Muslims who become doubtful regarding the Qur'an and they present these doubts and then young people are not equipped with sufficient knowledge in order to answer such objections because many young people do not attend 
through circles of knowledge or lectures like this in order to pick up on these points. Another example now that I've touched on this, so you, you can know in future if you ever come across this, is that they mention uh, that the, the Quran states that man is created from the liquid from sulbi Sulbi is the loins. Taraib is the chest area of the woman. So they say this contradicts science also because we know semen and the uh, the <coughs> liquids of a male and female that, that are involved in the procreation are not formed in the sul, in the backbone and the taraib. What is the response to this? The response is that the word asul is used which means uh, sulb can mean the backbone but it can also mean the loins and what what is meant by the loins is the 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 base area at the back of the spine from where the uh, the functioning of the, the the human organ occurs and from where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings about the formation of that liquid there is no scientific contradiction here so these are some of the things which I have no time now to touch upon in detail but these are some things which uh, we must be aware of but with regard to the Akhbar al-Qur'an, two more examples before I move on to the other subject matters of the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, Alam naj'ali al-arda kifata. Did we not make the earth kifata? The word kifata is used. What does kifata mean? Kifata means something which draws other things downwards. Kifata. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, did we not make the earth as such that human beings are drawn towards it? Meaning, what modern science would term as being gravity, uh, an, an observational reality, that if you jump from a high building, you will fall down. The word kifata is used. That human beings are drawn towards the earth. In fact, in Arabic language, when a snake goes back into its hole, when it goes back into the hole, that action of going into the hole, the same verb is used from kafata to go in. So the Quran is asking, did we not make the earth as such that it pulls human beings down? Now someone may say, yes, the Quran is stating this, but the meaning of this verse is that when they die, they are, the Quran is saying that they are buried inside of the earth. But the Quran itself states that while they are alive, living and dead, meaning both the living and the dead, that they are pulled down to the earth, meaning this is an observational reality. Before uh, Galileo, uh, before uh, Isaac Newton, before all these scientists, meaning uh, what did he do from the uh, leaning tower of pizza? What did he do? Uh, throw the the weights down. Which scientist? Galileo. Yes, and check gravity and and then the story the the story of the apple falling onto the head of Isaac Newton. Before all of this, the Quran is telling us that this is an observational fact. 
لم يبذل كفاته احياء واموات both for the living and the dead this is an example of akhbar alquran meaning one word kifata one word kifata if a person reflects on the meaning they will take that meaning uh, another example from like this والارض بعد ذلك دحاها now dahaha someone asked me this they said daha means to be flattened daha it means to be flattened of course no muslim scholar held the position that the earth is flat no muslim scholar held the position that the earth is flat uh, all the muslim scholars said that the earth is rounded but the word daha one meaning this shows us how the quran may use one word with multiple meanings and each meaning does not contradict the other one meaning of daha is to be flat and livable flat and livable what that means is that when we observe the planet mars for instance the planet mars is not livable there's there's caverns and there's uh, uh, rocks and mountains that people cannot live on but the earth is such that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the earth livable this is what the faith of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to but the word dahaha this one word dahha one of the linguistical meanings of dahha is also rounded so if you check a lexicon if you check the root dahha the verb dahha you will find that the same word is used for a rounded belly when someone gets a pot belly they describe the belly with the same verb that way because the belly <coughs> starts rounding up they the same verb is used that the earth is also like this you have the when the, the person's stomach gets big the top part is livable then you get to the side part that would also be livable because of the because of the gravity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made which is also mentioned in the Quran so if you do research meaning I'll just leave the indication then people can do research on this themselves one of my students he was asking he said I checked the word daha the verb and it means to be flattened or to be livable but I said to him go check the lexicography you'll find daha and also the verb daha containing the word the meaning of being rounded that the poet describes the bread he describes the bread the baker is making and he mentions the word daha meaning he rounded the bread the ha so one word in the quran can have multiple meanings that do not contradict one another one uh, last khabar which i will cover this subject of course is a deep subject alone akhbar al quran i didn't intend to discussed but i keep remembering different examples like wa akhtasha laylaha wa akhraja duhaha akhtasha the word akhtasha alone if you go into the depths of the meaning of akhtasha what it entails but uh, we will not go into that today what but one important khabar in the quran is that when fir'aun drowned at the time of dying he saw the angels and he said i believe in the lord of musa <coughs> or the lord of bani israel he said the lord of bani israel but his iman was not accepted why because the at the time of death once the veils are <coughs> removed from the eyes the the taklif is removed 
is no now he can see so his iman is not accepted but the angel addressed him or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed him or commanded the angel to address him that from today we will preserve your body nunajika bi badanika we shall nunajika is to save you with your body badan at in the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the bodies of the pharaohs pharaohs were not discovered in fact what happened was when the pyramids were made and i mentioned in the previous session that the quran tells us how the pyramids were made yes i covered how the quran tells us that how the pyramids were made a few hundred years ago during the khilafah uthmaniyah if someone went to egypt they would observe that the pyramids in fact were flat the surface was smooth what happened was a certain governor of egypt decided to use the uh the limestone that covered the pyramids and they pulled away the limestone and then the blocks became apparent so what we observe today in egypt when the companions came they would have observed smooth surfaces of the pyramid <coughs> but today the blocks are observable then what happened when the british entered uh, firstly napoleon entered egypt in 1799 and then after the french the british entered and this opened the doorways for modern egyptology what did they do they uh, ransacked the the pyramids uh, and discovered different mummies and the mum the discovery of the discoveries of the mummies occurred in that period of time but during the revelation of the quran it was never conceived that a body of a pharaoh or the pharaoh will ever be found preserved so when people recited this verse they may have had different interpretations not understanding what the the import of the verse was but during the time when the body of pharaoh was found and some say it's ramesses the second that's the story of you that it's ramesses the second the body is observable today in the egyptian museum in cairo so once when i took some people with me to visit the uh, the museum they said to me what purpose is there in visiting the museum because we went to see all the different uh, historical <coughs> sites to do with the family of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam Egypt and the companions and then they said why are we visiting this and i mentioned to them this sign in the quran so when the body of firaun was discovered it was around the same time that the zionist movement was also founded So around the time when the Zionist movement was founded, the body of Firaun was also discovered. Of course, for Ahlul Basira people of spiritual insight, there is a, a sharp indication regarding the body of Firaun and the end of times, and regarding the founding of the Zionist movement and the end of times. Nevertheless, the ikhbar, the informing of the Quran, occurred and became true, meaning observable to the entire world. So likewise. There are different akhbar in the Quran that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala has informed us like regarding Bani Israil la tufsiduna fil ardi marratayn you should cause corruption on the in the earth twice state occurred once already and the second time is occurring today meaning there has never been a time that Bani Israil has had a kingdom on earth except twice One was after the time of Suleiman alayhi salam that was the first time of corruption la tufsiduna fil ardi marratayn 
But the second corruption is occurring today in front of our very own eyes. They've never had a state. But now the, the prophecy of the Quran has come true in front of our own very eyes. So this is an example of Akbar when you recite the Quran. There are so many lessons to be taken from the Qasasul Quran, the stories of the Quran, as well as the Akbar Quran. Four things left. One is Amrun wa Nahyun. Uh, one and two, which is commands and prohibitions. But this <coughs> we can place under a heading which is known as Al-Tashari'ul Islami, Islamic law. What wisdom is there in Islamic law? And how did the Quran legislate? Meaning, it's miracle enough that a, a people from Arabian Peninsula that had no codification of law prior to the Quran had no legal system prior to the revelation of the Qur'an, it's sufficient enough that the Qur'an, within a, within a period of 23 years of revelation, that the codification of law occurred, and there was no plagiarism from any of the previous scriptures. Meaning, if you look at the Jewish law and you compare it with Islamic law, they are totally different. Meaning, in Jewish law, there are so many rulings that are in contradiction to the Quran. So for anyone to claim that the rulings were plagiarized, this is totally incorrect. Some of them attempted to say the Quran took law from Justinian law, meaning Roman Justinian law. But they were unable to establish this because there is no there is no resemblance between Justinian Roman law law and there is no way of proving that the Messenger of Allah ever had access to the codification of Roman law in that time. But Islamic law generally in two verses of Mirath, two verses of inheritance laws in, in, in Surah Al-Nisa, two verses. From two verses of inheritance laws, the jurists were able to extract entire volumes of books regarding the laws of inheritance. An example is the verse of suckling. The verse of suckling in Surah Al-Baqarah contains 60-something words. 60-something words. About 63 words. If you count the words, there will be 60-something words. The number of rulings taken from that one same verse exceeds 30 rulings. So, a verse of 60 words is giving us rulings of over 30 rulings. So this is uh, summarizing at tashri' al-Islami that if someone studies in depth Islamic law, they will realize that there is a wisdom why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated what he has legislated. Now there are people throwing doubts on the legislation of the Quran, like the amputation of the thief, his hand. Um, stoning is not in the Quran, but it's in the hadith stoning, but the lashing of the fornicator, or uh, they say these punishments are too harsh, or hijab, for women to wear hijab. But if someone studies this with depth, they will realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated these things for a wisdom. Meaning, a wisdom can be shown in every legislation of the Quran. Of course, that's not the subject of today. I'm giving you the overall uh, principle that when you read legal rulings in the Qur'an, always know that there is a wisdom behind those legal rulings. And the minds of the fuqaha, the jurists, are such minds that they were able to 
extract the wisdom. So they go into what the Sharia law preserved, the five things that it preserved. But if I go into that now, we will be going up subject. Then the last two aspects of the Quran were Amthalul Quran and then the Asma and Sifat of Allah, the names and attributes of Allah. Amthalul Quran is in reference to the similitudes given in the Quran. <coughs> like in Surah Al-Baqarah, when you're going to recite the Quran, <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, or like the similitude of the one who stoked a fire. Made a fire. These are similitudes in the Quran. Of course, these similitudes, by way of summary, is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relates to us a reality regarding someone. But then, when our minds cannot comprehend abstract things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us an example from the physical realm in order to make us understand. So there are a few examples in the Quran, like the example of the old woman. She sews a cloth, a piece of cloth all day, and then when she sews a cloth all day, she then unravels the cloth. <coughs> Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the similitude of the disbelievers that they do something meaning make something and then they destroy it with their own hands. This is a similitude or the similitude of the spider's web or the similitude of the mosquito. In each one there is a wisdom. When the similitude of the mosquito was given, the disbelievers could not understand. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Inna Allah la yastahi an yadriba mathalan ma Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in Allah la yastahi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no shyness meaning you cannot ascribe shyness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to what to strike a similitude regarding ba'udha a mosquito and anything smaller than a mosquito or larger than a mosquito why a mosquito Today we know that a mosquito is a creature, a small creature that can humble and tame the most tyrannical people. Meaning a mosquito carries malaria and, and malaria can, can disable an individual. But a mosquito was also that creature that killed Nimrud. It entered his head in through the ear and killed him. Now Tony Blair has uh, an anti-malaria foundation. Tony Blair, so the modern Nimrud has a, a foundation to counter malaria. So, but the example of the of, of the mosquito in the Amthal al-Quran, when you recite the Quran in the month of Ramadan, you should reflect over these different Amthal. Why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving this similitude? The last uh, subject matter that I touched upon, of course, this subject is deep, meaning the subject of the Quran, is the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Al-Quran Kareem, there are names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he repeats at the end of many verses. So what is the purpose of that? The lesson that is being taught in the verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relates it to some of his divine names. 
So when he says in Allah, Sami'un Basir, Allah is Sami' and Basir. The reader and the, the reciter and the listener is to reflect on the names of Allah, relating to the admonition that is being given in that verse. So if it's Alimun uh, Hakim, the knower and the wise, there is a, there is a reason why Alim and Hakim is being mentioned and being related. So this is to reflect on the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Additional to that, within Al-Quran Al-Kareem, there are, if you notice, not many verses relate to the existence of Allah. Most verses relate to the divine attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The reason being that the, uh, the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was self-evident. أَفِ اللَّهِ شَكُّمْ فَاطِرِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ The Qur'an asks, istifam in karimin, a question to the listener, is there doubt in Allah, the originator of the heavens and the earth, meaning there is no doubt. Yes, meaning it's self-evident. Or, أَمْ خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْرِ شَيْءٍ أَمْ هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ Were they created from nothing or are they the creators? Meaning they, did not, they were not created from nothing. They didn't create themselves. That's why the only uh, conclusion is what? That someone else created them, meaning the divine creator. Or هَلْ أَتَى عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ حِينٌ مِنَ الدَّهْرِ لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْءٌ مَذْكُورًا Has arrived on humankind a time, a short portion of time where it was something uh, unmentioned. The answer is yes, there was a time. Meaning... Because there was a time, someone brought him into existence. These are the methods of the Qur'an in reminding humanity regarding the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what is corrected is the wrong beliefs regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like, لَوْ كَانَ فِيهِمَا آلِهَةٌ إِلَّا اللَّهُ لَفَسَدَتَا If they were in the heavens and the earth, a God other than Allah, then the heavens and the earth would be in chaos. Meaning, they cannot, two gods cannot coincide, two gods cannot have the same will, two gods cannot have the same divine power. Therefore, they will contradict one another and therefore there is only one God. There is nothing like him, yet he is all hearing and all seeing, negating any resemblance to his creation. So like this, the verses relating to the divine actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like... Ar-Rahman wa al-Arshistawa, the merciful, rose over the throne. What does it mean? Not an action of rising. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free from physicality. Yes, corporeality. The meaning is the Arsh, and this is the last point before I finish. The Arsh is the last, the largest creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In comparison of the arch with the kursi, the kursi is like a ring in a desert. Yes? And the kursi in comparison to the seven heavens and the seven earths is like a ring in a desert. Why is the kursi called kursi? Uh, I'm sitting in a chair. What happens? You become embedded inside of the chair. Yatakarras. So creation... Makhluk is mutakarris embedded inside of the kursi. The seven heavens, up to the sidratul muntaha, everything is embedded inside of 
The kursi. The kursi is made out of light. But the kursi is contained within the arsh which encompasses the, uh, the kursi. This arsh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us regarding his divine attribute. Ar-Rahman, the merciful. Al arsh meaning his divine mercy. divine action of mercy encompasses the arsh. Meaning if it encompasses the arsh, it encompasses everything else in creation. So, the verses of relating to the divine attributes are something also to reflect on. In the month of Ramadan, how do you start increasing your recitation? Firstly, and this is something I practice, so before I preach, is you don't have a smartphone. Smartphone will waste your time. The amount of time you spend on a smartphone, count that time and think if I had the Quran app on my phone and I was reading Quran instead of Facebook. Yes, Facebook or whatever other uh, social media things they have. Additional to that, you cut down, you limit those things which you do not need, computer games, unnecessary television programs, and you start reciting the Quran every day. Start now in the month of Sha'ban, 90 verses a day. When the month of Ramadan enters, one Jews a day. Someone may say, how can I recite one Jews a day? If you recite after Fajr prayer, half a Jews, and after Maghrib prayer, half a Jews, or after Asr, half a Jews, you finish one Jews. If that's too much, you recite after your five daily prayers. So, some of the ajza uh, are ten uh, pages with two sides. Ten, some of the ajza you can get ten pages, twenty sides in total. What do you do? After Fajr, read four sides. After Zohar, read four sides. After Asr, read four sides. After Maghrib, four sides. After Isha, four sides. Even in work, you can have the Quran on a, an application, place it on your phone, and you can recite off your phone. If, so, if someone says they have no time, and they are spending time on social media and Facebook and watching useless things, or just controversies, or things like this, especially in the month of Ramadan, then they are lying to themselves. This is actually increasing the station. But how do you reflect on the meanings of the Quran? Today, Alhamdulillah, gave you a, a guideline of the six subject matters of the Quran that you will know that there is a divine wisdom behind everything. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to increase our study of the Quran. Memorization of parts of the Quran. Those of us who haven't memorized uh, part, the last small chapters of the Quran, they should start to memorize the chapters of the Quran in the month of Ramadan. Meaning, uh, the younger people should memorize at least Juz Amma, the last Juz, at least Juz Amma of the Quran. And the elder people should at least know the last 20 chapters of the Quran. The last 20 chapters of the Quran. And those of us who have memorized Juz Amma, should intend to memorize other portions of the Quran, like Suratul Mulk, Suratul Waqi'ah, Suratul Yaseen. These are chapters you can read on a daily basis that have benefits. 
There's so many benefits of the Quran. Like if you enter your house every day and you recite Surah Al-Ikhlas three times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negates poverty from the house and removes the debts. But not only from that house, from the, the 40 houses on the right and left. So Surah Al-Waqi'ah, again, the, the, the power of Surah Al-Waqi'ah is removing poverty. Surah Al-Yaseen. These are different uh, verses of the Quran, which are, again, like I said, is not today's subject matter. But intending to memorize more of the Quran, and those of us who are hafaz al-Qur'an should intend to revise the Qur'an in more, with more intensity and more depth, but most importantly to act upon the Qur'an and reflect upon its meanings.
جزا الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم ما هو أهله اللهم تقبل منا هذا الجمع المبارك يا رب العالمين وبارك لنا فيه يا رب العالمين اللهم اجعله تفرقا مباركا أيضا يا رب العالمين اللهم فقهنا في الدين في الدين وعلمنا التعليم اللهم علمنا ما جهلنا يا رب العالمين ووفقنا نعمل بما نعلم يا رب العالمين اللهم اجعلنا عاملين بعلمنا يا رب العالمين اللهم ارزقنا التقوى في السر والعلم اللهم اجعلنا مجتنبين لظاهر الاثم وباطنه يا رب العالمين واغفر لنا سيئاتنا وذنوبنا وآثامنا وتقصيرنا في جنبك يا رب العالمين اللهم بدل سيئاتنا حسنات وضعف حسناتنا يا رب العالمين اللهم ارزق قلوبنا تقواها وصلاحها والهمها رشدها يا رب العالمين واشفيها من امراض يا رب العالمين اللهم اجعل باطننا وظاهرنا سواء في طاعتك يا رب العالمين اللهم إنا نسألك العفو والعافية والنعمة الدائمة ودوام النعمة فنسألك المعافى في الصحة والبدن والمال والأهل والأولاد والعرض وكل شيء يا رب العالمين اللهم ارزقنا حسن الخاتمة يا رب العالمين واحفظنا من عذاب القبر وضغط القبر ووحشة القبر وظلمة القبر واجعل سورة الملك منجية لنا في قبورنا يا رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين